And right about now you're saying, really, Jason, a Christmas video? <laughs> Seriously? It's the beginning of November. What in the world? And, and in truth, I wasn't actually headed that way originally until I got this text earlier this week from Maddie, the campus pastor over at Pleasant Hill. And the text went something like this. She said, Halloween is today. That's crazy. I can't believe Christmas starts tomorrow. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Good grief. I kindly responded to her, uh, of course, with my own text, you need Jesus. <laughs> People love this holiday, though. It just can't seem to get started sooner. I mean, let's face it, all the decorations are already out by August, it seems, this year. And I'm not mentioning names because my staff loves this holiday, and so we'll just call him, you know, Old St. Nick or something. You know, heaven forbid any of my staff actually keep a Christmas tree up in their living room all year long. Nothing wrong with that in some other world, some other place. Uh, I mean, that's not normal, and I try to get them counseling, and it just doesn't seem to be working on that. Yeah, and, and so... You know, it's just like Christmas seems to be earlier and earlier this year, but people love Christmas. I, I get it. You know what? Pastor Ben's been watching Hallmark Christmas videos for months now. I mean, he's a crier, and, uh, and that's what he enjoys. He'll pay me back for that later. But, uh, <laughs> but when you hear people talk about Christmas, you're usually hearing them talk about the emotions and the feelings that people experience at Christmas time. It's, it's a time of, of warm atmosphere. They, they love the lights. They love the nostalgia. They love the traditions. Uh, many even just love the hustle and bustle of the seasons, the music, all the decorations. All of those things give us warm feelings. And people, many people, not everyone, but most people, really enjoy the rush of the holiday feelings. But as the video implied, however, there's sort of this lull that happens kind of in January once the season's over and you're starting to put the decorations away and take the lights down and company's gone, the parties are over. There, there's sort of this, this almost depression uh, type feeling that comes in as we move into the reality, you know, like in Iowa that there's nine more months of cold ahead of us, you know. It just feels that way, uh, you know. But, but, you know, you just move into that long, dark winter sleep. And, and the reason for that is, if we're being honest, it's because the entire season is based on emotions. And when those emotions are gone, we're, we're left kind of bankrupt a little bit. And the truth is this, life can be like that sometimes. There are seasons in our lives when we might be walking on a mountaintop. Things might be going really well. We have great feelings, Maybe new job, new car, new, new girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever it may be. You're walking through a season where, where man, it just feels good. And I love these feelings. We all want to feel good. But the truth is, like many things in life, those seasons don't always maintain themselves or the bottom drops out or the unexpected happens. And what do we do if we're to maintain ourselves over the long haul? I don't think we constantly want to ride on this roller coaster of, of you know, happiness, no happiness, happiness, no happiness. How should a Christian live? But let's recap before we jump in a little bit and talk a little bit about, for instance, what's the difference between joy and what's the difference between happiness. Let's recap where we're at. If you're new with us today, we've been walking through a series, we're about six weeks into it right now, called What You Built Your House On Matters. And, and, and the idea behind it is all of us are building this metaphorical, this spiritual house in our lives. And, and what 
we find out is what you build your house on actually matters. And, and not just the foundation, but what are you building that house with? And the primary question we're asking behind all of this is this idea that when the storms of life come up, and by the way, they are coming because none of us in this room are promised all sunny days. Life has its good times, life has its bad times. And so the question we're asked throughout the series and through the book is to ask, are you building a house, a metaphorical house here, that can withstand the storms of life? Because those storms are coming, like we said. In week one, we talked about what is our posture then when those storms of life come up. And we looked at four possible postures that people oftentimes slip into during these seasons. The first is a group of people who end up seeing things as happening to them. And when we go through life where things are happening to us, what we end up getting is a victim mentality. You know anybody like that in your life? Just they, they're walking around and they constantly have a target on their back. Life is happening to them. And when you have a victim mentality, you tend to blame other people and other things for everything that's happening to you in life. It can be a really despairing way to live. Another way, though, is for people uh, who think life is happening for me, and it's kind of a consumeristic mindset in that case, but what they end up kind of seeing is that people and things in life exist to be pawns in their chess games of life, so they, they just kind of use people for what they get, and if they can't get something, they just move on to someone else or something else, in many ways, and in many ways, they're on a happiness or a pleasure quest, and when that happiness is gone, they'll just go find that happiness somewhere else. Maybe you know somebody like that in life as well. Another is what I call the passive person. And what is this person? This is the one who, who knows there might be a problem, there's something that needs to be dealt with, but they're just going to ignore it. They're going to hope it goes away. If I just sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not there, it'll just somehow magically fix itself. But how many of you have figured out in life that ignoring problems or sweeping them under the rug does not make them go away? They come back, and all too often, unfortunately, they come back right about that time when the pressure is rising and the bottom drops out, and we suddenly realize there's unresolved business in our life, nor have we worked on the skills in our life to manage this difficult time. We fall into a trap. And the last one is to ask, who are you doing life with? Who's your tribe? Who's your community? Because one thing that you'll hear me and Ben say all the time, Everyone, everyone is being discipled by someone or something. Everyone. And you're either being discipled by the culture and by the world, or you're being discipled by Christ. Which is it in your life? But if you're going to walk through the difficult times of life, you're going to need a group of people to come around you and walk that season with you. Because the Bible's very clear, nobody is meant to go through life alone, ever. From there, then, we begin to talk about having a strong foundation in your life. And we all know the story, most of us at least. If you're new to the faith, this might be a new story. Jesus tells us that there's two men. One man builds his house on the rock. One man builds his house on the sand. And when the storms of life come up, the man who built his house on the sand, his house washes away. He did not build on a good foundation. However, the other point, too, it rained on both houses. Again, the storms are coming. And so what we learn as the title of this series in the book, what you build your life on or what you build your house on matters. For Christians, genuine Christians, that foundation is God 
and his laws for our life. But I realize even when I say that, that can be overly simplistic because for some we'll just say, well, which God are you talking about? I mean, there's a lot of gods out there. So we say it's built on God. Uh, are we all worshiping the same God? Or worse yet, you know, the Bible says our greatest problem is pride. And the reality is for a lot of people, they go through life and know there's God and there's us. But what pride does is it puts us up above God. And pride says, I think God is this. I think God acts like this. I think God behaves like this. I think God says this. And you see that the problem is we've elevated ourselves above God and we're telling God who he is. The Bible says it reminds us the human heart is wicked beyond measure. Pride is our central problem. And anytime we elevate ourselves above God and say this is who God is, we are being prideful at that point. The truth is, the Bible says, and, and, and God says, you know, if I need anything, would I come to you? Would I ask you? Because God is God and you are not. The right question to ask in our life is not to say, this is who I think God is, this is how I think God acts. The right thing to say is, this is who God has revealed himself to be. And he reveals himself in the scripture. He does not need your help describing himself at all. Who does God say he is? And let's tackle that other one. I mean, aren't we all worshiping the same God? This more and more we're going to talk about here in the podcast too, but I want to show you a picture. This is a, a facility in Abu Dhabi. We'll be talking about this more and more. Uh, we have a podcast that's in the week called Radiant Midweek. Right now we're in something called Escaping Babylon where we're diving into the end times. We're about 19 podcasts in if you want to catch up and learn a little bit more. This is called the Abrahamic Family House. On this property is a mosque, a synagogue, and a church. And this was started in large part by the Catholic Church and the Pope speaking with other religious leaders in the world. And the central idea that they're trying to say is this, uh, at the core we all share Abraham, therefore we're all worshiping the same God. And you know what? It sounds good. Especially in a world where we're in the midst of war and despair. It sounds good. I mean, can't we all just get along? Aren't we all just worshiping the same God just in different expressions? I mean, it sounds wonderful. And where we might say, okay, we have the same standard, where we get into a problem is we move into, then how do you measure that standard? What are you using to measure that standard by? And I got reminded of what this means here just in the last week. Uh, Pleasant Hill is under construction right now, so we're doing lots of stuff in there, and we were putting a bracket up. We were going to put it up, up on the ceiling, and um, I had all the right measurements from the manufacturer written out on the floor on where this bracket needed to go, but we went and we stood where it needed to go, and we looked up, and we're both going, well, I think it's right about there. You know, we're pointing right up. It goes right about there, and we get up on the ladder, and I think this is about right. This looks about right, and finally, a guy named Dwayne, if you've ever met him and all his enormous wisdom, uh, just an amazing man, he's like, well, you know, Jason, what we need to use is a plumb line. And so he gets out a plumb line, hangs it from it, from where we were pointing and thinking it needs to go. And sure enough, as it went down to the floor, it was about two or three inches off from where it needed to be. And we needed to adjust where it was at. So while we say, hey, I have the right standard, what are we measuring that standard against? 
And here's my thing, is I think that there's a whole bunch of people out there who are going through life making guesses without applying those guesses against the standard. We're just guessing our way through life without ever asking, what does God's word have to say about this next thing I'm about to do? And for a Christian, I need to be clear, our measuring stick is not a thing, it is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And here's what I know about this person for 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul would tell us this. He, he would say, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. It's a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. In fact, Jesus would go on to tell us this in John chapter 10, verse 30. He would say, I and the Father are one. What does this mean? Well, when we go back to that story with Dwayne and the plumb line, what it means is this, when, when Jesus says that I and the Father are one, it means we're plumb. We measure perfectly. I am the measuring stick by which you measure your godliness in life. We look to Jesus. Jesus is the standard. In fact, we think about it, and we always thought these bracelets were kind of silly. Many of you remember them. Youth groups had them. You wore them on your wrist, and they had WWJD on them. Remember that? What did that stand for? What would Jesus do? And when we talk about, hey, we have a standard of God, but then we have to ask, what are we measuring that standard against? What you're saying is, you're asking the question, what would Jesus do? And this next thing I'm about to say, and this next thing I'm about to do, is that something Jesus would do? Or let's ask it a different way. This next thing I'm about to say or do, would that put a smile on Jesus' face? Or something else? What is the standard by which we are measuring ourselves? And just to be clear, when we go back to that picture in Abu Dhabi, just so you know, for the Muslim, the standard is Allah and the measuring stick is Muhammad. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And yes, as you'll learn in the podcast, and we'll say it here, yes, the Muslims claim that they believe in Jesus. But let's be very clear. The Jesus they believe in did not die on a cross, he did not rise from the dead, and he is not the Son of God. It ain't the same guy, y'all. It ain't the same guy. I don't care what they say. And so we need to be careful before we slap a church down around a few other synagogues and other folks and declare that somehow we're all worshiping the same God. We're not. Because when you put the standard of Jesus, absolutely, it is a stumbling block for the Jews because they reject him as their Messiah. And it is foolishness to the Muslim because they think we got the story wrong. They believe Jesus is something else. It ain't the same thing. And so let me ask you, is the Jesus of the Bible your measuring stick in life? Or are you using something else? Let's be honest, for many of us, are you the measuring stick in your own life? Your opinions, your wants, your desires. So we asked, what is the foundation? What is your measuring stick? And the next thing we began to ask is this, what are you building your house with? Because the truth is this, anybody who's in construction out there or ever built anything, knows this to be true. You can have a perfectly good foundation and build a completely crappy house on top of it. You know that? You can build a bad house on a good foundation. And the truth is, I, I know a lot of these Christians out there, I'm not being mean, but a lot of Christians out there say, I believe in God, but their 
life is being driven by addictions, by greed, by power, control, sex, you name it. It's not enough to just say, I've got a foundation in God. Are you living it? What are you building your house with? Can the house and the building materials you're using withstand the storms of life? Because if you're building it on selfishness and greed and pick your aholic on it, on that, it isn't going to make it through the storm of life. What are you building your house with? I don't have a lot of time to dance around this, and so I'm just going to say this. I, like the other pastors, Bob, Ben, Maddie, and all, we, we talk to a lot of people, and I, I'll be honest with you, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty of what people are chasing in life, what they're throwing their darts at, if they're being honest, they're chasing happiness. And I want to be clear here before I go any further. I have no problem with happiness. It's, it's like money. Money's not bad. It's how you use money. It's whether it's not bad. Happiness is kind of the same way. But my main point is this, and I want you to hear me on it. Happiness without joy is empty. And we're going to talk about joy in a minute, what that means. But happiness without joy is empty. And one of the primary things you have to know about happiness is happiness at its core is a feeling. It's an emotion. What do we know about feelings and emotions? They come and go. And we all know people out there, you know what? They're happy for a season. They love it. I got this new girlfriend. I got this new boyfriend. There, and we're all happy. We're in this little honeymoon time. And then things get tough. And what happens when they get tough? They run. And what are they running after? They're running after some new happiness. Because when my happiness stops here, I'll just go find my happiness somewhere else. So happiness, unfortunately, can be a feeling. Whereas joy, at its core, is contentment. Are you seeking a feeling? Or are you seeking true contentment, true peace in your life? In the Bible, it says... When we live simply by happiness as a feeling, or if we're on a pleasure quest, we are living in the flesh. What living in the flesh is, Jesus would also say living by your senses. What that means is if it looks good, feels good, tastes good, sounds good, it must be good. We're living in this world only. If I can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, it must be good. But the contrary to that is living life in the Spirit. And living life in the Spirit is to realize there is more than just this world, that there is the kingdom of God, that we are destined for heaven and we were created to do life according to God's will and pleasure. We don't live by just what looks good, feels good, tastes good, sounds good. We live by God's direction for our lives, His plan and His purpose for your life. And He has a plan and purpose for every single one of you out there. We are called to live in the Spirit. In fact, in Galatians 5, Paul would tell us this. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Notice what he says here. They are in conflict with each other. They're at war with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Let me read that last line again. It's like talking to my kids here. He's like, you are not to do whatever you want. That's not how we're called to live. We're called to live in the Spirit. And so I want to use an illustration. This illustration's in the book. I've used this before. But I want to look at it one more time, if I may. And I want to encourage you. This is in your worship guide and your fill-in stay if you want to follow along, because I think it would be good uh, for you to review this later. But to explore, what does it mean then to live in the flesh versus living in the Spirit? in our lives. 
And so what we discover in people is for many people out there, they seek happiness. What they mean is this. When you're in the flesh, it's defined like this. I want to feel good because love is a feeling. That's eros in the Greek. It is also where we get our word erotic from, by the way. At the end of the day, I am chasing pleasure. When we live life in the Spirit, it says, I want to be good. Now, you see the difference there? The first one says, I want to feel good. The other one says, I want to be good. Because love is sacrifice, which is agape love. Agape love is the love of Christ on the cross, paying the price for our sins on our behalf. It is sacrificial. It is selfless. It is serving. And the difference is while one is chasing pleasure, the other says, I'm pursuing contentment in my life. Are you pursuing contentment in your life? From there, we say, well, then I'm pursuing authenticity. And that's a buzzword in our culture today. You know, can't we just keep it real? That's what we say. Let's all just be authentic. And I, but, but how we define authenticity is going to be different in the life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Because when we're living life in the flesh... It says, I am pursuing my desires and doing what is best for me. I will follow my heart. Who's heard somebody say that before? I'm just following my heart. Yeah, let's go back to what I said earlier. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and beyond measure. Good luck. Where do you think your heart's going to take you? It's going to take you down a road of death and destruction. But I'm just following my heart. What that means is another mantra we have in our culture. Why don't we just stay true to yourself? When there's spirit, though, it says, I am pursuing God's plans and purposes and becoming who He created me to be. The difference is God is the standard in our life. In the other one, stay true to yourself, you are the standard. And so let me ask, is God the standard in your life? And is Jesus your measuring stick? From there, seeking authenticity, we, we demand, really, affirmation at this point. We certainly desire it. And what affirmation means when we're living in the flesh is I need you to celebrate, actually reinforce my decisions and accept me for who I am. That's defined, by the way, as the person I want to be. And uh, the ultimate evil, by the way, is to make me feel bad about myself. And ultimately what's happening there, if we're being honest, is that others define you. You're being defined by the opinions of people around you and what they have to say and what they think in your life. But when we live life in the Spirit, it says, I rest in the confidence that I am dearly loved by God and created in His image. However, God does not celebrate every decision I make. Therefore, I need accountability in this life. And I do, and so do you. And the difference is, I am defined from above. Whereas one, it's earthly. We're defined by people and things around us. The other says, no, I am defined by God and who he says he is. And who does he say I am? He, he says that I am his valuable possession, that I am a son of God, that I am born again, that I can approach his throne of grace with absolute confidence, that I am righteous, that I am holy, and that I am set free. I am a child of God. Who's defining you? And what are you being defined by? Ultimately, what most people are seeking after is freedom. 
But when we're in the flesh, we define it as, I want to be free from guilt, shame, and accountability. I want to have the freedom to do whatever I want. My will, my way. And when you go down that road, life will be indulgence. It's a pleasure quest at that point. But when we're in the spirit, it says, I need to be set free from my disordered desires so that I can flourish, make better decisions, and serve others and love. This road will require discipline in life. Do you have a disciplined life? Or are you just sort of guessing your way through with your opinions, your wants, your needs, and desires? Which best describes you? Because for many people, they seek pleasure at all costs. They are the standard in life. They need affirmation from others in order to feel good, and they want happiness apart from God. And so two quick things just before we land the plane here to understand even just the difference between happiness and joy in our life. The first is this. Happiness at its core is external. What that means is it has to come to me. My circumstances are based upon my feelings and emotions, and it's an emotion based, again, on my circumstances. In other words, it's based upon the outside coming in. I need external influences in my life to make me happy, people and things. However, when we get to joy, what we learn is joy is internal. Genuine Christians already have it. Why do they have it? Because at its core, it is Christ in us. It is the Holy Spirit living in and through us. That is our hope and glory. And, and I want to be cured, because notice in the first sentence I said genuine Christians, and, and I'm sorry this stops on toes. And I, I, Not everybody who claims to be a Christian is truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I just say that? Genuine Christians have Christ living in and through them. The Holy Spirit is in them. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living in and through you, my dear friend, you have not been transformed. Sorry. Need a place to read? Romans 8 will take you there, the entire chapter, where we're called to live by the Spirit. And the sign of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit living in and through us, because that's important. The difference with joy is the very definition. We choose to rejoice in God's grace. Joy is based upon two words. This is in some past uh, sermons, uh, because we've talked about joy several times, because my worship leaders love to make me do Advent candles every single year. Good grief. One of them's joy, so I got lots of joy sermons out there if you want to do some digging, okay? But one of the core things we understand is joy is based on two words, keros and keris, which means this. One means rejoicing, one means grace. At the very core of what joy means, it means rejoicing in God's grace. When's the last time you truly sat down in gratitude and rejoiced in God's grace? It is grounded in a posture of thankfulness and gratitude, and it's based upon the inside reflecting out. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit that is living in you, working through you, in you, and out of you. Everything you say, everything you do, that next act is something where when someone sees you do it or hears you say it, says that points to Jesus. That's what it means, by the way, to be an ambassador of Christ. Joy is internal. Happiness is external. And the point in this entire series, I hope you've picked up, is this. I want to try to get your attention. How do I break you out of your status quo for many of you out there? 
Because the truth is, for some people, they're just running around from one fire to the next. Life is hectic. It's busy. There's just good stuff going on. We're constantly going, going, going. We're doing, 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 and we're in this crazy cycle. And how do I stop you long enough to ask some of the important questions of life you need to ask? Or for some, we're just so comfortable and life is just going so good that we become numb to the problems around us or to the needs around us. We become ambivalent of it. And the, and the reality is this, unfortunately, because I see it so many times, whether you're just busy, 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 or you're just comfortable, too many people wait until the bottom drops out or something bad happens in life before they start asking the important questions of life. And I'm trying to ask in this book and in this series, how can I stop you now in this stage of life and what you're going through to, and ask the important questions right now before the bottom drops out so that you can build the skills and the wherewithal and the relationship with Christ that you need to have to weather the storms of life because they're coming. But how can I get you to do it now before a defining moment occurs in your life? Are you chasing happiness or are you chasing joy? Which is it? Are you finding these good feelings and other things outside of you and the people and the things that you have? Or is joy an internal thing where we rejoice in God's grace? Which is it? Because the reality is this. We don't need more stuff. And I, again, stuff's not bad. I like stuff, especially Christmas, man. I expect a couple presents under the tree, man. I, I want some stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, nothing wrong with that. But always the question we ask with stuff, do you own your stuff or does it own you, right? Right? When we get down to it, while stuff is fun, you don't need more stuff. You need Jesus. So many of us are chasing earthly things and trying to get satisfaction from things that will betray you in the end. We never really find happiness without joy. And so I ask, do you have joy in this season? And so I get it as we land the plane now. Jason, practically speaking, what are you saying? How can I apply this in my life? And, and, and let me just give you an exercise this week if I can. Maybe, maybe this will help a little bit. When you get up in the morning and you've got that time where you go and you just sit by yourself and maybe you fix a nice glass of warm hot tea or some other gross bean drink. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> guessing which side of the coin I'm on. Uh, <laughs> but in that time, were you just sitting there? Would you, in that moment, take the time in a heart of gratitude and thankfulness to praise God for His amazing grace? When is the last time you actually truly thanked God for the enormous grace He has shown you? When was the last time you truly stood in awe of His mercy and His kindness? The fact that he loved you when you hated him. Bible says you were enemies in your mind before you hold yourself too highly. Because I had someone tell me this week, I'm good. I'm, I don't need to go to church. I don't need God. I'm a good person. No, you're not. There is none who are righteous. No, not one. Not one. Can you take the time this week in that quiet moment to truly thank him for what you have? I'm not talking about your stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. I do thank God for my house, my family things. I mean, that's fine. But I'm not talking about that. Can you truly thank him for salvation, for sending his son? And let me ask, how would it change your life 
if in every moment of every day you spent it rejoicing in God's grace rather than being defined by the world and its circumstances? When was the last time you were truly in awe of what God has done for you? And I wonder as we go into this Christmas season and we enjoy all the feelings of warmth and kindness and good, I want you to enjoy it. Christmas can be a fun season. But instead of just pursuing a feeling, what if we truly spent this time rejoicing in God's grace and thanking Him for all He did and being defined by who He says we are rather than being defined by our circumstances or other people. Stand firm in your identity in Christ. Because again, we don't need more stuff, we need Jesus. May that be what Christmas is about as you thank Him for sending a little baby to Bethlehem who would die on a cross for your sins and give you hope the hope that leads to joy. Let's pray.